Hey guys, I hope you're having a great holiday season. Bridget and I just wanted to jump on here and give you guys a little mini-sode, but we will be back on January 9th with a brand new episode of Girls Next Level. So we're gonna be reviewing season one, episode six, Operation Playmate. So whether you have the DVDs or whether you're watching on Amazon Prime or Tubi or wherever you find the show, be sure and do your homework so we'll be back with that January 9th. And in the meantime, we just wanted to drop a little preview of what we do over on our Patreon page. We've got some Q&A questions. We're just shooting the shit. Also, our friend Stacy is with us. So if you hear her in the background, she's there too. So I hope you guys are having an amazing break and we will see you on the 9th. On the topic of the reason for the season, did you see there is a Jesus Ouija board that they're marketing now? No. Yes. Wait, I, isn't that like anti-everything? Yeah, like you would think, but it's like they're marketing this thing as a Ouija board where you talk to Jesus. Let me try and look it up so oh I can show God. you guys. Ouija board for Christians. The Holy Spirit board sold on Amazon. Give me a break. Oh, my That's God. <laughs> Holy Spirit board. I mean, you're going to get some demons coming through there. I know. Yeah, how can you control who you're talking to? Exactly. You can't. Sounds like a trap to me. That's funny. You know what I saw a video of on, it was like an Instagram story or something, that you'll be so grossed out on, Bridget. Oh, God. It's like these rubber balls that look like testicles that you stick to the bottom of your table so you can reach underneath and squeeze them like a stress ball and it reminds me of those balls that people hang from like the back of their trucks okay (laughs) all right can I go on my tirade yeah but first like kind of explain what those are on the trucks because I don't know if everybody's seen those okay they're called truck nuts ew and they hang from the tailgate like not the tailgate but from the like a that little ball thing yeah the hitch yeah they hang from that and they piss me off (laughs) so bad I've almost, I didn't do it, but I've almost keyed a truck for it. I've oh definitely my thrown my gum in the back of their truck for it. Oh my God. Like, I get so, I will zoom up to somebody and flip them off and tell them what a piece of shit I think they are. Oh my God. I'm so offended We're have to by blow these. you out, Bridget. Nick bought me some for Christmas one year. No. I was so mad at him for even giving them whatever 15 bucks or whatever they are. I was so mad. Like, I don't know what it is, but it will They're make triggering. me hostile. What if I had a vagina hanging from the back of my car? Is yeah, that okay? people would flip out. People would lose their shit. Yeah. Uh, anal. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so irritated by this. And if you have them, we cannot be friends. <laughs> Period. I had never seen them before until I was in the car with you one day. And then I got an introduction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have reindeer antlers on mine and a tail. That's okay, right? That's okay. Tail. That's cute. Okay. That's fine. I love a lash on a headlight. I, I kinda... have eyelashes on my head. That makes me too. smile. Yeah, okay. I feel like those kind of people are probably good people. But if you <laughs> have truck nuts, we can't talk. Get out of my way. Yeah. I'm trying to be super healthy this week because this is health week. In between Christmas and New Year's is health week. Uh, what? And I, yeah, I do all the no. healthy shit I want to do because by the time New Year's comes around, I know what I want to stick with because I feel like New Year's resolutions are on the worst time of the year. Like it's the most dreary, boring month. Like I don't want to worry about trying to get my ass to the gym after January 1st. Okay, I'm sorry. This is not health week, in my opinion. This is, like, all balls out week. Like, just (laughs) drink whatever you want to drink. Fucking eat the candy you got for Christmas, all the cookies, like, whatever. This is, like, no. (laughs) I did that 
the week before Christmas though, because I had like my birthday, Christmas Eve, and Christmas. So that's when I pig out and then I have health week. Mm. <laughs> You're like, no. I'm not on health week at all. <laughs> so there's this thing that I saw that's coming up, or actually it already started, but it's called the Empire Strips Back. And it oh my is God. a burlesque parody show. It's a burlesque Star Wars show. And I was like, oh my God, I have to take Holly to this for her birthday. Have to. I'm so excited to go. And I wish you guys could see. We'll post a picture of it. But Bridget made this cute little thing. It's like a popcorn bucket with tickets and like a picture. It's so cute. And Baby Yoda's. Even though I know enough about Star Wars to know that that's Mandalorian and not Star Wars, it's still the same world. Yeah, it's the same world. (laughs) Or maybe it's not the same world, but like, I don't know about the planets. Universe. It's a universe. universe, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Somewhere in there. Somehow it goes. (laughs) So we're so excited to go. We'll update you guys. Did you see Pepsi? Where's my jet? No. What is it? I've seen the poster for it on Netflix, but I'm like, what is this? It was so fun. You should watch it. What is it? So it's, it's this campaign that the um, Pepsi did. Like, I think, oh God, I just watched it. Now I can't remember what year it was. I think it was in the eighties and they, um, were like you win Pepsi points for drinking Pepsi mm-hmm. and you can buy stuff in this like little catalog. It was like a limited time thing, but you could buy like, you know, Pepsi sweatshirt and Pepsi whatever. And the the most expensive gift was like a Pepsi mountain bike if you like drink so much Pepsi, you know. Uh-huh. But they show in the ad this kid <laughs> landing like a fighter jet uh-huh. at his school and it says underneath it like in like arcade font, it says like 7 million Pepsi points, like something uh-huh. that they thought would be unattainable, you know, like because you're not really going to win a fighter yeah. jet. Well, this kid was like, I want the fighter jet. <laughs> and he like just like figures out a way to like get 7 million Pepsi points. I don't want to give everything away. Uh-huh. But he figures out a way to get 7 million Pepsi points. And then he like sends it to Pepsi and is like, I want my jet. And Pepsi's like, haha, yeah, right. That was a joke. And they're like, no, I want my jet. Oh, my God. And then the whole thing, like how it all unfolds and what happens. Oh, and I want to watch ever get that jet. now. And I mean, I will tell you, it was a. I never, it was a Harrier jet, which I would never know what that was until I watched Mm -hmm. this documentary, but it's the kind of jet that lands, like, it doesn't need, like, a landing strip, it's just, like, it's like a helicopter, where it just goes up and down, like, it doesn't need, you know, like, you could, you could, if you had a big enough spot to park it, you could park it at your house. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That reminds me of the Toyota story. What was that? Okay, this was like an old Hooters legend. Like, even when I worked at Hooters 20 years ago, this was like, it happened before that. Because it was a legend even when I worked there. So there was this thing at one Hooters store somewhere way back in the day where they had a contest. I don't know what the girls had to do to win. It was like, whoever can sell the most curly fries or something like that. Or sell the most calendars. I don't know what it was. But whoever sold the most got a Toyota. A Toyota. You're getting a new car. Right? Wow. But they only ever said this verbally. So the girl wins the contest. She's super excited. They lead her out into the parking lot, and it's a Yoda doll. Toy Yoda. She was pissed, and she sued them. You know what bitch would have been excited to get a Toy Yoda doll, though? This bitch. Uh, Yeah, you would have been like, yes! Forget the car! I got a Toy Yoda! But yeah, it was just a play on words. They kept saying, you're going to win a Toy Yoda. So everybody thought, oh, you're getting a new car. But it was a Toy Yoda. Oh my god. Yeah, so like you have to be really careful about this stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. So do we have some unanswered questions from our Patreon? Okay, Sandy said, I'm incredibly empathic. I take on a lot of other people's emotions or moods. Are either of you empathic? And if so, do you cope and how do you cope in large events or around people whose 
aura doesn't vibe with yours? Well, first of all, I think we're both incredibly off the charts empathic. I think so too. And for me, um, that meant living at the mansion was not a great place for me. When I was there, like I knew I wasn't an extrovert, and you know, you know, and I knew I wasn't like the most talkative person on the planet. But, you know, I was 22. And when you're young and you're going out into the world for the first time, you're doing all the things. You're trying to make a good impression. You're smiling. You're trying to remember to make eye contact. You're trying to have a firm handshake, all the things people tell you to do. So when I showed up at the mansion and there were some things about it that didn't vibe with me, I was more like, I'm just going to push through this and do a good job kind of a thing. But looking back, I'm like, holy shit, that was not the place for me. I did not need to be living in a place that was that crowded all the time with all those people going in and out with no room or any privacy of my own. Like no wonder my mental health was on the brink. Like that was the last place I should have been. Yeah, for me, I feel like I'm able to really tune it out when I want to, like at big parties or whatever, or Mm -hmm. even like dinners and stuff like that. But in more intimate settings, it really affects me. Like if I'm living with somebody and they're in a really bad mood or something, even if they don't say anything, like I can really feel it. Or if they're upset about something, like I feel it really hard. But I feel like in bigger settings, it's not that I can't feel it if I were to focus in on Mm -hmm. somebody, but I feel like I can turn it off if I have to. Not, but not in intimate settings. Yeah. Not in smaller settings, but in like bigger settings like that. Like I can just be like, but I can even walk past somebody in the grocery store and be like, oh, they got bad vibes. Yeah. Bad vibes right now. And I feel like when you're in like a catty drama situation, it's hard too, because if I were not empathic and I was just bopping around closed off to what everybody else was thinking and feeling, probably a lot of the mean girl shit might have gone over my head. You know what? I didn't even I didn't even think about it in that context like in, during that yeah. era. Um uh, Mama of 3 says if you could go back in time and meet yourself at the front door about to walk in for the first time as a girlfriend, what advice would you give yourself and would you still let yourself go in knowing what you know now? That question is so tricky. I hate the question of would you do it all over again because I don't know what the metaphysical rules are for that question because It's like, if I do something different, does that create a butterfly effect and my life isn't how it is now? Because even though there was a lot of shit that I really didn't like going through and can't imagine living through again, I wouldn't want to go back and change it if that even risks anything in my life changing now because I love what I was able to do with it. Yeah. And I love my life now, so I wouldn't want to risk changing it. But then I think when you ask that question, do you mean my consciousness goes back in my 22-year-old body and I have to relive every single day with the mean girls? I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Like, it depends on what the rules are. Like, it, like because it, I want to end up where I am now, but I don't, I would never want to relive that. And there might be a part of me that was like, well, knowing what you know now, now I know I could go to a different school and major in something else and just have like a nice normal life and thrive at a other type of career I would have liked. But if I would have done that in my real life without knowing my path now, there'd be a part of me that was still always wondering, oh, I wonder what it would have been like to be a playmate or maybe I should have tried acting more. It's just like, I can't really answer that question because there's, I don't know what the rules of the question are. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense now that you put it that way because my first instinct is just like, yeah, I totally would go back and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. But then when you talk about the mean girls and reliving that part, like I'm not thinking that through. like, yeah. And I'm not thinking about what the repercussions of that would be. Like would it change your life now or anything like that? I'm just like would I do it again? My first instinct is yes until you start breaking it down like that. And then I'm like, oh, wait. 
I w- it wouldn't have worked out the same because if I know what I know now and I went back and did it, I would not put up with those girls shit and I would be kicked I would be kicked out. Yeah, it would be harder because in a way you would know, oh well we're gonna get a TV show out of this and we're gonna get these pictorials and we're gonna get to do such and such. So in a way that would seem like incentive, but after living a more fulfilled life and having boundaries now, I couldn't put up with all that stuff I used to do. So it's a really tricky question. I think overall, if I had to answer that question, I would say yes, even though there was a lot of stuff about that lifestyle I hated. I clearly had to go through it to learn what I wanted to learn in this lifetime. Like, I don't believe that any of us choose to come into this lifetime to have a super easy life where everything is just plush. Like, we all have our challenges. We all have our things we have to learn and go through. And we have to walk through the fire. And that was mine. Yeah. And even though there were a a lot of hard times, especially with the Mean Girls, I I don't regret what I did. I don't regret going there. Yeah, I don't think either of us made any bad decisions. I think we always did the best we could in the moment. And we tried to be true to who we thought we should be true to and what we thought was right at the time. Yeah, it's something I wanted. I wanted it for a really long time. And I wasn't going to let other people stand in my way, even though they tried to. Yeah. And I actually am kind of proud of myself for like sticking to my guns because it would have been so easy to leave. I mean, I don't know about easy the whole time, but it would have been. Well, I mean. I don't mean so easy as in like just having a place giving to go everything or, yeah. up and having places to go. I mean so easy to like tell those girls to fuck off. Yeah, and it would walk be easy to just door. throw up your hands. Yeah. The first part of the question is a little easier to answer. I think if you could go back in time and meet yourself at the front door about to walk in for the first time as a girlfriend, what advice would you give yourself? I don't know if there's one piece of advice that would really work, but if I could tell myself anything and maybe in some weird spiritual realm I already did because I feel like I had a little bit of this inside me it's like it's all gonna turn out okay in the end yeah oh I just gotta chill because I feel like that too like I would tell myself but I already kind of knew it at the time don't give up on this because yeah you're gonna get what you wanted out of this situation yeah I just thought everything would be so much better yeah everything and I just knew somehow at the end things were gonna be okay R. Jeremy, 88, are you Ron Jeremy, asks, in one DVD commentary, Bridget mentions that she hadn't been to a grocery store in like seven years and saw these new candy-flavored ice creams, which I found very interesting. And then thinking about life at the mansion, there was no need to go to a grocery store. My question for both Holly and Bridget, was there some challenges or great experiences adjusting to life post-mansion? Example, was it strange to be able to be out past 9 p.m.? Was there a new sense of freedom? I imagine living at the Playboy Mansion felt like an alternate reality where time could go real fast or slow with the mean girls because of the lifestyle travel and constant events. What was your adjustment back into the real world like? It was weird. Going to a grocery store was weird. And the candy-flavored ice creams weren't the only weird thing that I was like, wow, look at all this stuff. Well, I remember right before we all moved out, you went to Vegas for something. And you said that you and some friends went to go get a smoothie. And you were like, oh, my God, it was so fun. I forgot what it was like to just go get a smoothie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, we just left the the strip and went to, like, a regular spot in Vegas and got smoothies. And I was like, wow, regular life. This is so weird. You guys, I it's hard to explain how much of a bubble we were in. Like, I've been told by therapists that I have arrested development because I was in this bubble for, like, seven years. And, like, the majority of my 20s, I wasn't doing normal 20-something things, like dating or getting into my career or socializing or anything like that. And, um... Well, I I feel like being out past 9 o'clock was weird, too, because I didn't feel freedom. I felt like, shit, I need to get home. I still have remnants of that. I do, too. I start to panic because I'm so used to that feeling of, like, holy shit, I need to get back or I'm in trouble. 
And there's no need for me to feel that way. And there hasn't been need for me to feel that way for years, but it's still my body's instant response. It's mine too. It's weird. And I feel like as far as adjusting to the real world, I pretty much, well, I did go straight from the mansion to living in a hotel in Vegas where there's like room service and restaurants right there. And there's a party downstairs you could join anytime if you just wanted to. So it's kind of like living at the mansion. Yeah, a lot like. Yeah. So yeah, adjusting to the real world was interesting, but I definitely felt like living in a hotel was perfect for me at the time because yeah. it was just the right amount of adjustment it would have been yeah I was doing the beaches so I was kind of all over the place mm-hmm. so I feel like I didn't adjust right away either it came later yeah and then pickle juice ass I love I, your name I know me too <laughs> I know you both say you had two different experiences with living at the mansion how do you both support each other's experiences without any hurt feelings or resentment your lasting friendship is so inspiring Well, I think because we were there at the same time, and even though we didn't personally have the same experiences, we saw what was going on with the other person. Mm -hmm. And you were like the only person I would confide some things in. So some things that I talk about now that other people in the mansion world think are so out of pocket and so far out, like you knew about the whole time. Right. Kendra didn't know. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's because we saw and confided in each other, and that's what friends do do you support each other even even if you're in the same situation and you don't feel the same way you support the way the other person feels like yeah and I think we're just both mature and smart enough to know that we weren't always treated the same just because the differences in our relationship with have right and other people just can't wrap their heads around that yeah I think there is a Q&A coming up, but I'm not sure where to ask my questions, so I'll comment a few places. Holly, I feel like mental health is a lot more accepted, and people are educated more on it today. Back then, not so much. If you said you had anxiety or depression, you were labeled as crazy. If you could go back, would you portray yourself differently? Talk about the mental, emotional struggles you had on the show. Um, I don't think I was ever ashamed to talk about depression. It was more... I didn't ever feel like I could say anything that would make Hef look bad. Like if I had said, I mean, there was a point near the end where I confided in Kevin, the producer, and was like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. Like he's yelling at me all the time over nothing. And he was just brushing it off like, oh, he's just a grumpy old man. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine tomorrow. I mean, first of all, if I would have wanted to talk about anything like that, it just wouldn't have been included in the show. No. Because the show was supposed to be, like, super lighthearted and fun and positive propaganda for Playboy. So it would have never been included. But, I mean, I was never ashamed or embarrassed that I was ever taking any medication when I was. Like, that was never a problem for me. It was more the way I chose to present myself publicly back then was just based on, like, what am I going to get in trouble for from Hef? Or what's even going to be allowed to, like, make the end cut? Like, there just wouldn't have been on the show any occasion where I could have confided those things. Like, I think the closest it got was probably, like, season two. There was an episode about Hef's and my anniversary. And I'm saying in my confessional, like, I don't think I used the words, this is depressing. But I was like, well, you know, I just look at our relationship and it's not changing and it's not going anywhere. And I think it was pretty clear watching that episode how I felt, but I could never directly say. Yeah. Well, and I feel like things were different then. People just didn't really talk about it like they do now. Like now I feel like it's way more acceptable and people can talk about it and share Mm -hmm. their experiences and people can realize that other people are feeling the same way. But back then I just feel like it wasn't really something that you talked about 
openly really like we've had conversations mm-hmm. about it in private but it wasn't something that you um i remember one of the mean girls tried to like we talked about it like try and say that i was on medication as if mm-hmm. it was like this bad thing or something and i wasn't even on medication but to act like it was a bad thing like yeah. something like horrible about me and and like i just feel like it was like kind of taboo still back then it was and i would still talk about it like to hef or mary like i told them i was depressed when i was depressed but it was just kind of like i mean mary would always listen and try and be supportive when she could but with hef it was just like go talk to mary about it and i think this is our last question for the day i have a question for holly oh this is sorry it's adidas girl um, 86. I have a question for Holly. I'm listening to the fight night part two. Tina was Hess' main girlfriend. Then you became his main girlfriend. Was there ever a time you started feeling bad for her? Like what she went through? And now knowing what it's like to be the main girlfriend, was there a part of you that started to understand why she acted the way she did? Because she was stuck, so to speak? That's a really great question. And one thing I do have to say before I go into it is Tina had a lot more freedom than I did because she had two nights off. I think every main girlfriend before me had nights off. I asked about having nights off. I was told no. So there was a little bit of a difference there, but I can imagine that we were probably treated the same way in other ways. Like I feel like even when I wrote my book seven years ago, even though I had gained so much insight and understanding since the day I left the relationship, I still, when I wrote the book, I feel like if there's anybody I went too hard on, it was probably Tina because I felt like there was some back and forth on me moving into the room as main girlfriend. Cause it was like Hef and I had talked about me moving in and you know, Tina would have a time period where, oh, I'm moving out like right after Christmas or I'm moving. I don't remember what the date was. So I don't want to put that in her mouth. But then there would be like back and forth where all of a sudden, like I would think I was moving in the next week. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm not moving out anymore. And at the time, and even up to the point where I wrote the book, I felt like what the fuck? Because she had been really nice to me up to that point. Like when I started going out with the group, Tina already had a foot out the door. Like you could tell she wasn't really, she was kind of planning on leaving. And I think she genuinely cared about Hef and his well-being and wanted him to be with somebody who treated him good and stuff like that. So she was very supportive of me being the next main girlfriend. And then when that kind of back and forth happened where it's like, I'm moving out. No, I'm not moving out. I kind of blamed that on her and was like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is your problem? Yeah, make a decision. Yeah, and even after I moved out and realized that like Hef was the drama starter and it wasn't really all the fault of the girls, I still kind of felt like... I hadn't really like revamped my opinion on Tina, but looking back, I'm like, I feel like it wasn't her. I feel like Hef has this thing where when he's being broken up with, he always chases after that girl. Like it happened to me, like he took Crystal back. Like I've heard stories since, like just doing research for the podcast and stuff about how like in the seventies, like when Karen broke up with him, like he literally chased her down to her apartment. Like he always tries to like maintain control and get that person back. And I feel like Tina, especially since she had like a centerfold coming out right around the time she was leaving, it was a lot of guilt tripping because that was around the time when Hef was starting to realize like, oh, everybody leaves after they get a centerfold. And he was putting a lot of guilt on me and a lot of, so I realize now like how much that was a Hef thing and not a Tina thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if there was anybody I went too hard on on my book, it was definitely Tina. And I don't know what her headspace is now, but all I can speak for is like, my own experience and like taking responsibility for my own things and I do think I was too hard on her in my book and I do want to say that she was always super welcoming to me and I think she 
when she left, she wanted have to be with somebody nice who cared about him, and that was important to her. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think that wraps it up. I hope you guys enjoyed this little bonus episode. It contained highlights from our Patreon. It included clips from what we call slumber parties, which is where Holly and I talk about our week, current events, pop culture, or whatever topics intrigue us at the moment. It also had clips from our advice section. You tell us your scenario and we will give you our best advice to be taken with a grain of, or maybe a pound of salt, of course, and Q&A questions that don't get answered in the Girls Next Level Q&A, specifically answering those burning questions from our Patreon members. If you like this content and want more, make sure to check out our Patreon site. That is patreon.com slash girlsnextlevel. There you'll find slumber parties, Q&As, advice, tons of scrapbook photos, polls, chat rooms, merchandise discounts, and so much more. That's patreon.com slash girlsnextlevel. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful holiday vacation and we will see you on the 9th with a brand new episode.